Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. Welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. I'm Dr. Beth Baker, and this is our final episode with Dr. Bill Robertson. We're still talking about sustainability in cotton systems, but we're switching gears a little bit to talk about how useful on-farm research is for information transfer from farmer to farmer, how wonderful the farmers are that we work with and the different groups that we work with and the different strategies we use. So stay tuned. Enjoy. The content in each of these episodes is so great. At the same time, we were recording via Zoom, and there are a few places where the internet wasn't so strong, so just bear with us in those spots. It's definitely still worth listening to. The Arkansas Soil Health Alliance is a really important group that you work with, and and can you just speak to how the work that these individual producers are doing and the innovations that they have on their farms that you get to work with are important to this evolution of, of what we know about the system? Yeah, I, I, I greatly enjoy um, working with uh, the producers that are involved in or that are, that are, that are the Arkansas Soil Health Alliances. That's a, a farmer-led group of, of people that uh, some people say have drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> but but have experimented and make the cover crops and reduced tillage, improving soil health, and how they've made that work for them. And, and, and they do that not to improve yield, but to improve profitability. You know, a lot of times yield is linked strongly to profitability, but their, their primary focus is, is on profitability. And, some of them have been doing this for probably 18, 15, 18, maybe some of them close to 20 years now. And uh, when they first started, there, there wasn't a lot of resources for them to go to, to look at, you know, now then, you know, Beth and there, I'm working on something here at the house. You know, I had, I knocked, uh, a mirror got knocked off my pickup the other day. So, so what did I do? I go to YouTube. I find a YouTube for my year model on my pickup. And, and watch somebody go through because, you know, when you have old, old pickups like I do, all that plastic parts really brittle. So you have to know how it's supposed to come apart so you don't break it. But anyway, so I watched YouTube on how to do it. And then I did it. And so that's where a lot of people can get their information now. But before, you know, when a lot of them got started in that, there wasn't, there wasn't very many resources for them to go to. And so they're trying to help people, uh, helping farmers have a resource to learn how to do things. And then as a, as an extension person and it does some research, then I go and, and, and I like to learn from them. And, and that's something that, that I've always felt fortunate to be able to do in this position, even when I came here in 95, because, you know, you visit with farmers and, and, and one thing is to, is, you know, I'm, I'm doing all the talking here today, but a lot of times I try to, to, to let the farmer do all the talking and, and try to, 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 to not do, like my dad used to accuse me sometimes, he said, Bill, you got your, your mouth in drive and your brain's in park. 
And so a lot of times I'll, I'll try to put my, my mouth in park and put my brain in drive to listen and understand what they're doing. Because there's, there's so many farmers out there that, you know, there's some things that they're doing that are way different than other people are doing. And it's working really good for them. Well, if I can capture some of those things that this farmer's doing and add those on to some other unique things that another farmer's doing, well, then that's kind of a, a win-win for everybody. And so those are things that I like to do. And, and so I like to, there's there's some of the farmers in the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance. It's just like, you know, every time I go there, I learn new things and can add on to what I've already learned because a lot of times you go somewhere, you learn things that are new, even even you know, in research when I was doing stuff in statistics programs and stuff like that, you know, there's, there's so many things you can learn and do the first time, you know, you go through a class or something like that, but then you go and sit down with them and see how they do other things. It seems like every time you go, you pick up on, on something a little deeper and, and a little bit better. So you can improve yourself almost every time you go visit with somebody. And so having the opportunity to visit with some farmers like that really is educational for me and, and helps me, especially with the farmers that are new to this, to, to how, how they can get started. And kind of having my personal experience, because I, when I started with cover crops, I was, you know, I was putting these in, in pastures. I was working with the National Cotton Council. And so I didn't have any field, I wasn't doing any field research. But I learned about cover crops and improving soil health in a pasture. And Beth, when I when I started doing this, I started seeing some really big improvements on species that were growing. How how water was, you know, when we get a big rain, it wasn't ponding up; it was soaking in. And so I thought, man, this this is awesome. If this works this good in pastures, it's got to work in row crops. So then, so then it was finally on my radar screen. And so then I go out there and I see people that have been doing this for a long time that I just never, I never really, you know, we're so busy doing our things and checking the boxes off on a piece of paper that sometimes we're too busy to learn things. And, and uh, so I thought they weren't doing this. And so this, so I've kind of felt like I've drank the Kool-Aid too. And, and we see those things, but a lot of times, you know, there's things like that that we really don't see until, you know, we, we, you know, we get a good look at it and it's on a radar screen. You think, why didn't I think of that? Why hadn't I already been doing this a long time? And, and I really like working with farmers like those in the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance. And, and I do a lot of, a lot of my research plots with them and, and, and it helps me better understand why things are happening. But just because a, a Dr. Bill Robertson gets up in front of a, a crowd and, it says, well, here's, here's what I've seen. If you'll do this, this, then you'll, you'll improve sustainability, you'll improve profitability. You know, sometimes they just kind of look at you and say, yeah, whatever. And, but when a farmer gets up there and talks to them and tells them what they've done and how this has helped their bottom line, then those farmers really take notice and think, well, if it, if it works for them, it, it, there's a good chance that's going to work for me. But you know, I don't know. It's it seemed like it's always been this way when I was growing up. When I came to Arkansas, working with different farmers doing different things, uh, just because it works for your neighbor doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And a lot of times, it doesn't work exactly the same. So you have to kind of take take what other people have done, and you have to make it work with your management style in your particular situation. And so this kind of gives you a good place to start. But having a farmer 
talk to you. And, you know, farmer to farmer, it, I think, is so important in helping helping uh, transfer this technology to, to to new producers. And so that's one of the big those those are the big things I like working with this Arkansas Soil Health Alliance, and then they help us with research with our research too. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's why I brought it up. And I'm a huge fan of the Arkansas Soil Health Alliance. And I know that many of your producers who've been, um, yeah, innovating in their systems for 20 years have it, have shared that information with our producers here in Mississippi. And that's been a real, um, real benefit to our producers to have that same kind of information transfer. Um, and so, yeah, I've seen that yeah. in practice on the ground. And like you said, with our research, it is really helpful to have folks who are further along in their system to collaborate on research with us so we can really measure the effects of changing practices when it's been on the ground for a, a longer period of time. Yeah. Yeah, in Mississippi, there's there's some farmers there that I, I really enjoy visiting with. And, you know, like Sledge Taylor, look look at what he's doing on Facebook and, and increasing the awareness of, of what goes on on a farm from, from the start to the finish. And, and and there there's there 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 are just several producers in Mississippi that I, that I really enjoy visiting with and talking to about this and, and seeing and what they've done and and hear hear their stories because um, you know there there are a lot of you know the the innovators out there I, I really enjoy visiting with. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Okay, I've got just a couple more questions. I promise to to not grill you too much longer. Okay. One that, that has come up, just because I'm curious, um, and just because, uh, you know, you've been observing changes in soil health, you talk about feeding the microbes, and we don't have great consensus about which, which things we should measure um, that would indicate soil health, I should say, because right. there's so many things that we can measure, right? That, exactly. I'm, I'm just curious, from your perspective, do you have certain things you like to look at in the field to observe or actually measure changes in soil health on the ground? Well, you know, we've got soil scientists that are taking a lot of things out, out in the field, um, you know, look, looking at bulk density, look at water infiltration rates. We bought some of the automatic sensors. We're doing a lot of different things. But um, I tend, sometimes I'm, I'm, uh, I like to look at, at some things that there may be not as much scientific as as observational, but I really feel like when I'm when I'm doing a good job of improving soil health in a field, uh, one of the things I like to use are the watermark soil moisture sensors. In fact, I use them probably more as an indirect measure of improving soil health than I do to schedule irrigation, because when I look at you know, a 6, 12, 18, and, and uh, I don't put a 30-inch in a lot of times in, in cotton. I know in corn, a lot of times they do that in other crops. But if I'm getting moisture down, not only to the 16th century, but down to the 12 and the 18, I really feel like I'm making a lot of progress on improving soil health. And, and I get farmers to go out there after a rain, after a big rain, and get them to look at, at their fields. I get them to take pictures. And uh, is water is water standing in in the middles on 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 those fields? And a lot of times they'll they'll say, "Bill, you won't believe this." <laughs> and I was trying and, and and I'm trying to get them to see that, but they say, 
you know, we still got, I got water stain in the middles on the side that I plow, but on the cover crop side, I'll soak in like a sponge. And then, and then sometimes there's, they, you know, they'll tell me, so, well, I get a little bit of runoff in the cover crop side, but the water that's running it out, out of the, out of the bottom of the field is, is clear as can be on the till side. You know, I've got a lot of soil leaving the field. So when you got soil leaving the field, you got a lot of nutrients leaving the field. And, uh, in our, you know, you mentioned our discovery farm started doing some work looking at potash. And, and I'm just very surprised at the amount of potash we see leaving the field in a runoff. And it's kind of given me, you know, we're still trying to, to look at some of this data and figure out what's going on. But potash in our Mid-South soils is, is something that's really always been uh, kind of a mystery to me. And when I, and I, I never thought that potash really left the field as much as we did see. But when they've just started measuring the potash in the field, because we've been measuring our nitrogen that's leaving the field and our phosphorus that's leaving the field, but we never really did much looking at, at potash. But we're seeing as much as 30, 40%, you know, um, you know, sometimes even almost half of the potash we put out leaving the field in runoff. Because if you, if you do a balance on potash, you know, a quarter of the potash that the plant takes goes to the gin. And so if we're losing half of it at the end of, you know, through the field during the season through a runoff, then only about a quarter of it stands. So that, that, that just brings more questions. So, you know, what's, what are the four R's for potash? And, and can we get by with less and still meet the crop needs? So there, there's a lot of questions. I think, I think, uh, I really, I feel like we can probably do some research when we better understand how much potash is leaving the field. Because a lot of times, you know, when we first did a lot of our potash research, we we're putting potash out and we were incorporating it into the soil. So it was a little more waterproof, weatherproof. Now then we're doing way less tillage. So a lot of our potash is surface supplying. And, and, and so I think the, the movement of potash from the field is different now. So there's some things we got to look at there. But um, I kind of lost focus on the question now. But yeah, that, that but, was it. It was, it was a, kind of, a, yeah, observational or measurement. Um, yeah, but the, ob the, ob the observational things. I, I really like the observational things. I agree. And, I think it's and really something impactful. else that I get farmers to look at too is when in our conventional till, when we irrigate cotton or we irrigate the field, water hardly ever soaks all the way up to the top of the bed. It soaks about, oh, half, maybe three quarters of the way up to the top of the bed. And you think, okay, well, I'm going to let, I'm going to let this set run for three or four more hours. And it never soaks up any higher up on the bed. You just, it just all runs off. And you go out there with a soil probe right after you turn the irrigation off and you hit dry soil about, you know, about six, seven inches below the soil surface there in the top of the row. And sometimes it makes you wonder, so what good am I doing? But on the side where we have cover crop, the water soaks all the way up to the top of the bed. A lot of times I can take a soil probe out there and I can go two, three foot down and have really good moisture all the way down and have big, nice cotton roots. And so just those observational things on, on how deep is the water going, where are the roots at, what does the water look like leaving the field. Well, we have meters on the well, and we look at how much we pump, and we have uh, flumes at the end of the field when we measure, you know, through the discovery farm, when we measure how much water leaves the field. And a lot of times we see that we're more, way more than doubling the amount of water that goes in the soil profile where we've been using the cover crops. And we see that with infiltration rates and some of those things too. So those observational things, I think, are very important. 
And we don't have to have a lot of high dollar scientific equipment to do that. Awesome. I like that. Those are great approaches. And I do like that, that it doesn't have to be super high tech and fancy. It can, it can be more observational. Okay, last one. Um, you know, you alluded to some of the research that you'd like to do on the profitability side moving forward. But what else? Do you, is there anything else you see in the next five years of just being like huge opportunities for our producers and, um, and all of us folks who work with producers to kind of assist in, um, you know, making soil health management, water management even more effective for our production systems? Yeah, you know, I think when we improve that teamwork that's going on in the field, I think there's going to be so many more things that are going on. You know, we have we have tools now that we can go through and and, and get a handle on what what soil microbes are there. Because I know when you look at cattle, the the flora, the microbes in in the gut on the cow differ with with what she she's been eating. And and so I think the same thing goes on in in the soil. You know, I'm not I'm not uh, well trained in that, but but just just kind of my basic understanding. I feel like that's kind of what's going on. And so we have we have tools that are coming along that we can kind of get a better handle on what's there. So now then, when we go from a you know go back to the basketball team again, okay, we got a basketball team with one star player, then we kind of know what we got there. But if we have a basketball team with three or four really good basketball players, well, then we've got one or two basketball players we can kind of substitute in. So when we get into that situation, knowing what soil microbes we have, uh, there's different things maybe we could apply to help us increase levels of different things that are out there. So knowing what we have and having this teamwork, we know whether, okay, do we need to put in an offensive specialist or do we need to put a defensive person in? Who, who do we need to substitute at this time out? And so I really think having a better understanding of what's going on and what we have maybe can kind of give us a better idea on who we need to put into the game for this, between this, you know, starting at this time out to the next segment to make things even better. So I think some of the things are coming along like that. We, we might have, you know, one of these days, you know, if we're going to make the tremendous increases in greenhouse, you know, reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, well, then maybe we can, maybe one day we'll have a cotton plant that can fix its own nitrogen and, and some of these other things. So, so we think maybe, you know, that, that'll never happen, but it, it very well could happen pretty soon. Who knows? And so kind of having a better understanding will, I think, maybe take, some of those new technologies, some of those things coming and we can hit the ground running and, and even even be better because, <clears throat> you know, we're kind of, I think the days of, and we said this before, I think all, all different generations, the days of business as usual is gone. You know, look at how volatile fertilizer prices were. And I think urea is coming back down, but urea might right now be the cheapest form of, of uh, nitrogen that's out there but the volatility in prices the availability of products we're going to have to we're going to have to be able to adjust on on the fly broader and wider than we than we have ever done and i really feel like you know you know with our supply chain issues because you know you go you know my wife's a farmer 
I have the job in town. So a lot of times when I'm in town, she said, you know, I go by, I do, I do a lot of her grocery shopping. It's just unbelievable. One week you go, there's not, there's not a single can of Rotel on the shelf. Then the next thing you go, Rotel's everywhere. There's no dead gum pasta. And then, and then you go, there's no toilet paper. And so the supply chain is, is so unpredictable. And so we're used to everything being there. So we're going to get to a point down the road where, we're going to need to spray an insecticide or we're going to need to do this. And, and this week, that just that stuff's just not there. And so we're going to have to, to try to be able to do cultural practices in a way to reduce our reliance on, on, on some of our chemistry. And so we have a lot more control over our cultural practices than we do whether so-and-so company has their product on the shelf because they don't have a little full package seal that goes on top of the jug or they don't have printed boxes stuff in and you know i was at tractor supply the day getting dog food there's no there was no dog food in the back every sack of dog food they had was on the shelf because tractor supply they were having a hard time getting bags to put their their feed in other companies are having a hard time getting ingredients and so we're going to have to start dealing with a lot of things that are beyond our control so we need to do as many of those things as we can it's in our control to avoid getting caught uh, in a bad situation Another another favorite component of me doing this whole podcast is that I learned so much. Um, not only do I get to great meet great people, but I get to learn so much. And so, you know, it's been fantastic for me to learn from you. I will say that last week when I was giving a talk, I may have said words like microbial functional groups or something very technical. But you better believe next week when I'm talking, I'm going to use your entire basketball metaphor. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.